We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 12 today. We're actually going to start just a little bit down from that, but we're going to basically work our way through verses 5 through 12. I want to talk a little bit about sorrow. Sorrow and repentance is where our focus is going to be today. So let's look together. 2 Corinthians in chapter 7. Let's actually start in verse 8 here in the King James as we get started this morning. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, this is his second letter to the church at Corinth, kind of following up on some things. He says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. And now, verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. That's the key this morning. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. And our key verse this morning, verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh what? Death. The sorrow of the world worketh death. All right, if you can grab hold of verse 10 and chew on that this morning, hopefully leave with that in your heart. I feel like that the Lord will have worked through me like I need to be worked out. Uh, have you ever got in a little debate with anyone? <laughs> I hear some laughing out there. What? You ever run into an argument with a close friend or a family member or maybe a debate about how things should be done a certain way, this way or that? Okay. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Rich Mullins. He's actually from Indiana. He's passed away now, but he was a Christian musician. And this is from Brendan Manning. I thought this was pretty good. He says, The late musician Rich Mullins taught me an invaluable lesson about the true meaning of repentance. One rainy day, he got into a blistering argument with his road manager and his name was Gay Quisenberry. Angry words were hurled back and forth, and Rich stormed out the door. And early the following morning, Gay was awakened from a sound sleep by the loud buzz of a motor outside her house. Groggily, she looked out the window and saw Rich Mullins mowing her yard. <laughs> now, uh, doing favors is not a replacement for truly asking forgiveness, by the way, okay? But that was a demonstration of reconciliation, wasn't it, right? Okay. Maybe we're not getting along at this point, but you know what? I'm going to make this right, and I'm going to do it by serving you. So this week, as you kind of get started, if there's someone you've kind of had a little feud with or a little bit of a disagreement with, you might even think about how you can serve them this week. Have you ever really been sorry for sin in your heart? Well, today we're going to look at how God's Word defines Sorrow. The first thing I want you to see is that God provides comfort. So look down again in verse 5. It's NIV. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in verse 5. And we want to see here how God provides comfort. Here the scripture says, For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside and fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, and your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. First thing I want you to see this morning, you can see it from this passage here, is that sometimes stress comes with serving the Lord. I know I'm not telling you anything new, but we live in a society, and I'm afraid sometimes in a church world, where they kind of push this stuff aside in the scriptures. And over and over again, I want you to see in this book, in 2 Corinthians, the truth here is that there is strength in suffering. It's not that there's no suffering in Jesus. There is suffering in Jesus, but there is strength in that suffering. So stress sometimes comes with serving the Lord. Again, Paul and his friends, they talk about they lack rest. And what I think is interesting, they said there's conflicts all on the outside, but what was within? There were fears within, okay? 
And again, I want you to see the humanness of these people that were missionaries. I mean, to me, missionaries are like some of the greatest people on the planet. They're willing to sacrifice everything to go and try to do what God wants them to do. I always admire that about them. But that doesn't mean they're not human. And it doesn't mean they don't get afraid sometimes. And again, Paul is laying out for us that when we serve the Lord, sometimes there is definitely some stress. And sometimes when our resolve gets tested, we have to find out what we're made of. Or more than that, we find out what God is made of. Can you hear that this morning? I think some of us have been there where we found out we aren't made of much. The Lord causes us to realize we got to depend on him, okay? So in those times of difficulty, in those times of stress, what we find out here is that the Lord is enough. And we're going to get to chapter 12 here pretty soon in 2 Corinthians, and we'll have that reminder that God's grace truly is sufficient for us. Second thing I want you to see in this first little paragraph this morning is that though God tests us, he also comforts us. He has a habit of bringing comfort. And I will tell you that most of the time, how does God bring comfort? Most of the time, he brings it through other people. And a lot of times, and again, I hope that I'm not trying to, if you're in a rough spot, I'm not just trying to make the spot easy for you. But a lot of times what God does is he takes people who've been through the rough spots who, to comfort people who are going through the rough spots. Amen? Right? You've been there, we've been there, and what, one of the most wonderful things is to be able to help somebody who's hurting when you can understand their hurt. You get it. You know it, right? What we were challenged about on Wednesday, I was just so overwhelmed. We saw the story of the refugee family, Samir, as he was leaving out of Syria, making his way through. They were charging him ridiculous, like $10,000 for a $17 boat trip, you know, kind of thing. I mean, just insane, crazy stuff. And all I could think about is, I don't get that. I don't know that. But Jesus knows that, doesn't he? Right? And believe it or not, there are other Christians who know that. A lot of the refugees coming out of Syria, what's their faith? They're Christian. And the Lord can take them, even in those difficult circumstances, and turn that around for them to love and serve other people. What I'm challenging you with this morning is that maybe you've been through some rough things, or maybe you're even going through a rough thing or two. Learn the lesson the Lord is trying to teach you in the rough thing, because it may be that God is also not only going to give you comfort by someone else, but down the road you may be a comfort as well. So submit yourself to the Lord's teaching, even in the hard times. Paul says here that God used Titus to comfort him, but even more so, the Corinthian church was comforting Titus, and that comforted Paul, right? The best way I can think of to explain this is, at least for Wendy and I, um, don't, don't get me wrong, I love if people are appreciative and thankful, but really, I could care not too much about that to me, right? If you just do stuff for me, yeah, great, thank you. <laughs> I should probably be better about that, but that's like, ah. But if you do something for one of my kids, then all of a sudden I think you're the greatest person in the world. And if you do something for the kids of our church, then that's, that's kind of my love language. If you do something for them, you're amazing. You're wonderful. You're awesome, right? And Paul here is the same way as he thinks about the way that Corinthians are relating to him. They do it through Titus. I saw you take care of Titus, and the way that you took care of Titus, that's what really comforted me. Because I see you care about the Lord's work. I see you care about the Lord's mission. I see you care about the Lord's missionary. And I know you're getting it. I know you're growing in Him. So let's make sure that we are feeding those same types of things in our lives. The main source of their comfort was this, for Paul and for Titus, for Luke, for Silas, for Barnabas. The main source of their comfort was that their work was not in vain. Have you ever done work in vain? Probably have at your workplace, right? There's times where we did one thing on a couple thousand iPads only to find out a week later that we didn't need to do that or we did it the wrong way. Right? Work in vain. That's one of the worst things, right? One of the best things is when you're able to do something and it holds up. And again, and I hope you take this in the right way. This is not on me or on Wendy, but when we were able to go to... Calvary there in Illinois, we were, we were driving up every weekend from Memphis. Wendy was pregnant, doing a four-hour trip up and a four-hour trip back every weekend with Brooklyn. <laughs> and we just loved those people. When we got there, I think there was 
like about 17 people at this church, and they had been through a horrible, horrible tearing down, breakdown type thing. And we didn't know what else to do. We just, so we just were consistent. We didn't do anything great. We just showed up. We loved people. We prayed, and we just tried to do that. And when we were able to leave that church, it was a healthy church. There's lots of kids and lots of young adults and lots of older folks and people growing in the Lord. And I was so scared for two years. It took him two years to find a pastor after we left. And today, that church is still doing good. And so and there was people ahead of me that did great things for that. What encouragement. So you think about that as you think about the people that have poured into your life as well, right? You don't want their life to have been, their work to have been in vain as well. And so all of the harassments, all the discouragements, all the hungers and the sleepless nights, they were not in vain because the Corinthians were growing in the Lord. They had a desire to, to see Paul. He says they had a deep sorrow for the things that they had done that were hurting the Lord, and they had a concern for Paul and his ministries and his missionary. So here's the first thing I really want you to take away from this first paragraph this morning is this. Take some time to tell people what they mean to you, especially the people who helped you grow spiritually. Who has helped you grow spiritually? Maybe it's a, a pastor or a pastor's wife way back. Maybe it's a neighbor who just came down and sat with you from time to time. Maybe it's one of your own kids or maybe it's your parent. I want to challenge you today, challenge you today to reach out to somebody that has had an impact on you spiritually and to tell them thank you. And it will really be an encouragement to them. Paul, again, shares what it is to have that happen in our lives. So again, this morning we see that God comforts and usually the way he does that is through people and he helps them to express what a difference that their lives are making in those other folks' lives. Second thing I want you to see this morning is we're going to spend a little more of our time today, and that is that godly sorrow is what saves. Godly sorrow saves. Look down at verse 8. Paul there says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. What a statement. But worldly sorrow brings death. Look on down, if you would, in verse 11. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this we are what? encouraged by all this we are encouraged sometimes sorrow is necessary hear me out this morning every now and then i'm gonna make you mad what vicky have ever i've never made you mad have i look at her see she's lying through her teeth right if i'm a good pastor a good speaker of the gospel if any teacher any leader is a person that is in the gospel every now and then they should be making you mad because hopefully they're exposing the truth of god where there's a part in your life that may need to be chiseled or shaped or guided and you're going to hear something you'll be like well who are you to talk about that i know your problems preacher you just ought to sit down you got no business talking about my issues here i know what your issues are and here Paul speaks very clearly. Sometimes you're going to make people sorrowful. And he says, I love how he says it. I didn't regret it, but I regretted it. Right? I think my dad's on the call today, and he could, he could testify to this. He was one of those dads that uh, in the middle of church when I was bouncing all up and down the pews, not paying attention, not behaving, we had to go have a little conversation back in the utility closet. 
and they're in the utility closet, my dad would say something to me, son, I love you, and this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And he was such a liar, <laughs> right? Because it really hurt. But I learned my lesson. I was disciplined, right? Okay. This is what Paul is doing right here. I don't regret making you sorry. I don't regret disciplining you. I don't regret shaping you after God, but I do regret it because I don't want you to be hurting. I don't want you sad. I don't want you despondent, but you need it, okay? So if you've ever been related with a parent or have that figure of a parent, you'll understand what Paul is saying here. It's like, I don't regret it, but I do regret it. Sometimes sorrow is necessary. Now hear me out this morning. This is really important. If you guys are working with other church leaders, you may have to call somebody out on this once in a while. There are some people and even some pastors that seem to find a pleasure in making people feel sorrowful or guilty. Let me point out your flaws. Let me show you everything that's wrong. Let me be the prophet and decry all of your sins. That is not the attitude that Paul has here. Causing sorrow should be temporary and it should lead to a life that pleases the Savior. Amen? All right? I'm not here to inflict sorrow on you all. I want you guys to be full of joy. If you glorify the Lord's name, He's going to fill you with joy. But every now and then, sorrow has its place, but let it be temporary and not continual. Again, Paul didn't regret causing sorrow, but he did. Uh, he didn't regret making them better. Now, sometimes leaders can cause sorrow that does not lead to repentance and that can be we've talked about this we talked about uh, church hurts you guys remember some of those things and just about everybody here probably has a church hurt story don't you where a church leader or a church pastor or somebody the way they treated you the way they didn't treat you or act on your behalf it left you with a little bit of a sting okay and we need to be cautious and careful about that it's not again our job to punish uh, the congregation God will take care of the punishment. Our hope is that if sorrow is necessary, it will lead to uh, repentance. Dylan Persinger, a good friend of mine, he put up a little thing on Facebook this week, and it was just a simple little thing, and I thought it was really good. Diane, if you can pull it up, I think it's right here. There we go. If you're just part of a religion, here's what religion says. I messed up. My dad's going to do what? He's going to kill me, right? Oh, I got to get out of here. I messed up. I got it's going to be bad. I messed up. What's the gospel say? I messed up. And what am I going to do? I need to call my dad. Isn't that good? That's the difference between everyday religion, doing things to check off boxes and to prove to people how wonderful a person you are versus a relationship with the Savior who gave his life for you, right? That's the prodigal son, right? I messed up. I lost it. And maybe I'll go back and at least my dad will let me be a servant of anything. I, I need to go talk to my dad. Amen? Right? That's the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow right there. Okay? Oh, they're going to kill me. I got to get out of here. Or, oh, I need to go find the love of my parents. I know I broke their heart, but I know that they care about me. And I know they'll forgive me and make things right. Again, godly sorrow brings repentance that leaves, leads to salvation. And I love this last phrase. It leads, leaves, excuse me, no regret. Let's try that again. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. This is the kind of sorrow that I want to see here at our church. All right, the kind that doesn't leave regret, the kind that leads to salvation. This is what we would call a, a real turning. We've done this in my Sunday school class a few times already. Repentance is a 180 degree turn. If I'm headed toward the devil, I'm headed toward the ways of the devil, I'm headed toward myself, and I decide that I'm going to follow God, I don't keep going this same direction. My mouth can say, oh, I'm following God, I'm going to church, I'm in SoulCon, I'm doing great. If I'm still going the same direction, I have not repented. Repentance is when I make the turn. And I start leaving that stuff behind and I start chasing down the Lord. That is sorrow that results in change. What we see in our own life scripturally, what happens is called regeneration. Okay? When you come to the place in your life where you finally say, God, I am sorry for the sins I've committed against you. Please come into my heart. That is true repentance. When you say, I forsake that lifestyle, I want to know you, then what does God do? Not what you do. What does God do? 
He makes you new. We've already seen that in Corinthians, right? He takes the old things, he makes them new. He makes you a new creature. And that little change in the middle is you saying, I'm going to forsake the bad and I'm going to turn to the Lord. And then God is the one who makes you brand new. You don't have to make you brand new, okay? And by the way, if you're the one trying to do all the work, you're going to fail. Right? Can we do like the whole unstuck thing there again, right? <laughs> you try to do it all yourself, you're going to fail. If you think that you came in church today and the preacher told you to go out of here being just to be a better person, be a better mom, be a better friend, be a better dad, be a better, better, better worker. Hopefully you've been long enough to know around here this preacher doesn't preach that, right? You're going to blow it. But if you will sorrowfully repent of your sins and say, Lord, you come and be the strength of my life, then God's going to make something great out of you. Okay, that is godly sorrow. It leads to salvation and it leaves no what? No regret. You got any regrets today? I got a few. The one always comes to my mind is I never played high school football. I was so scared of not making the team. I was so scared of not making a team of 60 people and I found out after it was all done that they didn't cut anybody. <laughs> they would keep anybody. I was so scared of not doing that that I didn't try out for the team. That's a regret. Will you have any regrets for repenting and giving your heart to Christ? Godly sorrow leaves no regrets. Okay, the world will tell you it does. But we're reminded here and all the people who have gone before us that godly sorrow leaves no regret. It brings salvation. Hear me out this morning very clearly. Without godly sorrow, you will die in your sins. This is the gospel. Your coworkers, your friends, your family members, your church family, without true godly sorrow, you will die in your sins. And that's why we got to carry out the gospel. Okay, we're not pulling any punches there this morning. Godly sorrow brings salvation. Godly sorrow leaves no regret. And that's what we are desiring here. Now look at worldly sorrow for just a second. What does worldly sorrow bring? It brings death. And the best way that I can, can say this this morning is that worldly sorrow is an I'm sorry without a change in behavior or attitude. You ever had that in your life? Maybe you've said a sorry like that. Uh, have you ever had your parents say to you, uh, Megan, go tell so-and-so you're sorry. <laughs> right? Or especially with siblings, that's the case, right? You go tell so-and-so you're sorry. I'm sorry. That's a perfect example of worldly sorrow, isn't it, right? It happens in a lot of different places in our life, doesn't it, right? You get your hand smacked. You got caught. You tried something. You didn't get away with it. And then you're like, I'm sorry, God. I guess I shouldn't have done that. And where's your heart? It's not about repentance at all, is it? It's about trying to navigate your way through some system of religion to say, well, I said I was sorry. I guess I'm okay. And what does the scripture remind us? That worldly sorrow, where does it lead? It leads to death. You want life, you need repentance. Godly sorrow brings on repentance, which brings about regeneration by the Lord, which brings life. Worldly sorrow, when you say you're sorry and there's no repentance, it heads to death. Again, this is just the gospel, as clear as can be this morning. People that we want that we love that we want to be right with god we want them to be re redeemed and reconciled they need a kindness that leads them to repentance and that is godly sorrow this is from lee eckloff says on april 13 2001 luther castile walked into jb's pub in elgin illinois with four guns and he opened fire he killed two people and he wounded 16 others at his trial he was unrepentant According to the Chicago Tribune, when asked by his attorney if he felt any remorse, he said, any feelings I have in that regard, I'll keep between myself and the Lord. He also said, as ironic as this sounds, I'm a passionate, giving person. I like to think I'm a pretty good person. I'm not one to hurt anyone that doesn't provoke me. Well, while reading this, I thought to myself, sure, we're all pretty good people as long as no one provokes us. Sin is somehow someone else's fault or an uncharacteristic break with our normal character. But the Bible teaches us that no one is a pretty good person. We are all sinners, and until we repent, we are hopeless. The gospel, right? 
you guys figure out how you can share that in the right heart and the right way with people this week. Now look at this, as we finish up this morning, look at how godly sorrow has these lasting effects, okay? And you can look through the list of King James or NIV this morning. We're going to go right through these verses just briefly. The first thing that Paul says to the church at Corinth, that godly sorrow in them has brought an earnestness, uh, a desire to maintain purity within the church of God. Now, I don't want to go into all the gory details, but if you go into the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll see the problem. And basically, there was an inappropriate relationship in the church uh, between people who were actually part of the same family. And God condemns this through Paul. Paul has to write the letter the first time to correct them, and then he sees the change, and this is a result of that. And so God, through Paul, says, what I love to see, what worldly sorrow has done in you has brought about an earnestness, a desire for there to be purity in the church of God. Not a desire to go around to people and to point out all of their mistakes and their flaws, <laughs> but a desire for us to be a holy people. Another thing he sees is an eagerness to clear themselves. Again, not hiding it, not denying it, not lessening the importance of it, but eager to clear their name. The church at Corinth says, we got to make this right. Does our church need to make some things right? I don't know. The church at Corinth said, if, if they're showing that to the world that we are living in a wrong lifestyle, we got to fix this. And I hope that as a corporate body of believers that we have that same desire that we would be a holy people striving to please the Lord. And then I love this. Look what he says next. This worldly sorrow has brought about an indignation. Indignation. What is that? You guys remember when Jesus, he goes into the temple and when he gets in there, what he sees, and this is a little holy imagination here, all right? He sees um, the table that has all of the different things for sale. Oh, you know, I'll give you your own special uh, holy cup that will make you better. You can buy these prayers and you say these, you can get forgiveness. You can exchange your money rates right here. And you know what? We got other things to sell on the side, by the way, right? People had come into the house of God, and what was their desire? It was to make a profit. They were turning a place of worship into a place of profit. Um, let's not go down the road too far, but there are some churches in our country today that aren't too far from the same thing. Turning the house of God into a place of profit. Jesus comes in, and he says it should be a house of prayer. And what did he do? If I wouldn't just scare the living daylights out of you right now, I thought about throwing this music stand in the front row. <laughs> what would you do if you were in the audience that day when you saw, when you think of Jesus, I think of Jesus with a little child on his knee. I think of such a humble servant. A person didn't have a place to lay his head. And Jesus goes into the temple and he turns over the table of the money changers, all this cash and all this currency. And I think of the birds and the sacrifices. It all goes flying everywhere. And this person who was so kind and so quiet and so meek and so mild, he's as bold as a lion because he has an indignation that the house of God is being used for inappropriate things when it should be a house of prayer. Godly sorrow brings on righteous indignation. Not anger, righteous anger. Hear me out this morning. There's a difference, right? We can all get mad and throw a fit, right? <laughs> Wendy and I were watching this a little bit of Tom Allen this morning, Indiana college football team. They had a great year, but they lost Ohio State yesterday. And he's, oh, you're my team, and you're the best ever, but you really, I hate the score, and we're just terrible. We're making fun of how coaches get so into it, you know. He was angry, but he wasn't righteously indignant. He was just upset. But Jesus was upset because of the sin that he saw in, his, in front of his very eyes. All right? You guys today, if we will let godly sorrow fill our hearts, it's going to make us a little bit angry, a lot of it angry at the right things. Hear the Lord this morning. What should we be indignant about? Again, it brought within them a, a fear, and not just a fear like, oh, I'm afraid of things, but a fear like, I want to submit myself to a holy God. And again, I hope that this morning, I love Esther usually reminds us about this idea of reverence and this picture of reverence before the Lord. Do you honor God reverently? You guys know your point of your preacher pet thieves is to hear people talk about Jesus as the man upstairs. It just drives me insane, right? This is a holy God, and he can take your breath at any moment. 
and you just act like he's an old buddy of yours that he gets along. He doesn't care about your getting drunk and cheating on. It's just part of your country lifestyle. You have not encountered a holy God. Right? Be careful there. And there's an indignation, then there's a, a fear that's with us. There's a hunger to be around godly people when godly sorrow kicks in. Amen? This is a problem I have because I would much rather do this than go the other way. I have a hard time getting around being telling people about Jesus because I'd rather just hang around you guys. <laughs> Don't you love to be around people who are on fire for God? Man, when I'm around Sindhu and I'm around ID, I just feel as ashamed as I can be, but I also don't want to be anywhere else. Sindhu last week, they're casting out demons in Jesus' name. When's the last time you did that? Right? I mean, we don't even think that way because of our culture, right? But they are out there helping widows and they're helping orphans. They're helping church planners spread the gospel. In some cases, they're getting beaten for their faith, but their desire is to please God above all things. I want to be around that kind of person. Godly sorrow will cause you to want to be around godly people. So let that be kind of also a gauge of where your heart may be today. A concern for God and his glory and his name. Are you concerned about the name of Christian or is it just a byword? My brother Corey's been sharing with me this last couple of weeks. There's a whole movement now for a thing called progressive Christianity. Uh, we, it's, not, it's not new, okay? around for a couple thousand years <laughs> it just always shows up a little differently but remember when we talked about um those fundamentals of the faith right we talked about the virgin birth well progressive christianity will deny the virgin birth when we talked about the authority and the inerrancy of the scriptures well, progressive christianity will kind of set aside well there's parts of the scriptures that are good but you can't really trust everything in the scriptures right when we talked about the satisfaction of you of, of atonement that jesus had to die in our place Progressive Christianity just says, well, he's a good example of what it is to be a servant, but we really didn't need our sins paid for. That's just a metaphor from that time in history. You hear me out today? Uh, that is another gospel, which is what Paul says, no gospel at all. Amen? Godly sorrow will expose these things and will give us a concern for God, for his glory, and for his name. And ultimately here it gives us a readiness to see justice done. Again, very simply, and my friend Bobby Donahoe, he would pray this, and every time he would pray, it would just ring in my head. Lord, let us love the things you love and hate the things you hate. Can you hear me today? And again, hear me in the right tone, all right? I'm not telling you to go around hating people, but we need to hate sin like God hates sin. And we need to love people like God loves people. <laughs> okay? That's what godly sorrow does. It shakes everything up in your heart, and all of a sudden you're like, you see that homeless guy for who he is. You see that abused child for who they are. You see your coworker who's just throwing a huge fit and you realize that, that fit that they're throwing isn't anything about that at all. It's about something underneath that they need to be loved and, and held and known so they can find reconciliation. Let's love the things God loves and hate the things that God hates. And the way we do that is through godly sorrow. Listen to this. This is a Franciscan blessing, but man, it is good. Look at this. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may wish for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. <laughs> That's called faith, by the way. Amen. Praise the Lord. Again, Paul writes harsh words here to these people in order that they would know his concern and that they would in turn change. And they did change because they experienced godly sorrow. Because they have come out stronger on the other side, Paul is encouraged. And not only Paul, but all those that worked with him were encouraged because of the church at Corinth. Finally, this morning, I'll close with this from Martin Luther. He says, there are many kinds of sorrow on the earth, right? But the deepest of all sorrows is when the heart loses Christ and he is no longer seen and there is no hope of comfort from him. Only a few are so sorely tempted. All comfort is gone, all joy is ended, and there is no help from heaven or sun or moon, from angel or any creature. There is even no help from God, but the world rejoices.
The world wants you to have worldly sorrow. They don't want you getting upset at injustice and exploitation. They want you just to consume, consume, consume for yourself and for your community. And God says today, he goes, no, no, no. I want to have a kindness that leads you to repentance, that turns into regeneration, that results in salvation of your souls, of your life, of your change. This morning, don't allow yourself to drift to that place. See your sins as God sees them. And then repent. It's not that hard. Repent. Make things right with God. He's waiting to comfort you. Man, what a great picture, right? Let's pray, and then we'll have our time of communion together, all right? Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning already with a, a penitent heart. Lord, I pray you would forgive me for my apathy and for my lack of trusting in you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, crush me in a good way. Lord, that I would have the right loves and the right hates. Lord, that I would be indignant about exploitation, about abuse, uh, or about people who would uh, set aside Jesus as the Messiah. And Lord, that I would have just a hunger to be around godly people and Lord, a hunger to tell people about the great God who saves and who is waiting, uh, the Father who is waiting to, to welcome them if they only repent and return to him. God, thank you for your word. I just pray this morning that you continue to prick our hearts. Lord, expose our own sins to us and then help us to repent. And then, Lord, you come in and you change us and you make us whole. Again, Lord, that your name would be great. Lord, that we be filled with great joy. Lord, please meet and speak and move in our hearts even now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys, if you want to, we're going to turn back to uh, Corinthians just briefly. And this is kind of our practice here at Cross Life when we uh, take communion together. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 if you want to be there. So um, just a few things, just so everybody is aware of these things. We are free will Baptist. And so as such, when we take communion, that means communion is open to anyone who has repented of their sins and trusts Christ as their Savior. Okay? There are some churches that practice what's called closed communion. And their intent is that they would only allow members of the church to practice communion. And the way that they're justifying is that they're trying to hold people accountable uh, by being in right standing with God to take communion. We don't do that. We put it on you. It's your responsibility. Today, if, if you're not sure about your relationship with the Lord or things just aren't right with you and the Lord and you don't want to partake, nobody's going to come to you after service and say, what's wrong with you? <laughs> All right, that is your choice today. If you want to not partake today, you're sure welcome to, to not partake. But for those of you who have repented of your sins, whether you're a member of our church or not, if you love Jesus and you're chasing after him, I'm not saying that you're perfect, but that you're repentant, just like we spoke of today. We would love for all of you to participate with us today as we remember the body and the blood of our Lord. So what I'm going to do here right now is I'm going to go ahead and read through our scripture just a little bit and kind of get that in our mind. And then I'm going to ask if you would, and we'll probably start with Todd and Donna side and kind of work our way through and make sure we don't forget Diane upstairs as well. But make sure that everybody can come up a family at a time. We have these um, little communion cups. So this is a new trick for the preacher, and I think for Diane as well. We also both learned something today, <laughs> okay? Um, Diane was really nice and makes it really easy. She put it in a cup, and there's a wafer in the bottom of the cup, so you can easily get the little uh, unleavened bread out of the cup. But what uh, she didn't realize is that I think there's also a wafer in the top of the cup <laughs> as well, okay? Um, but feel free to, to use the cup and get the wafer, and then I know it'll be a little tricky, so try to, you know, Use a little caution there, but feel open today. Again, kind of in new times, trying something a little different. But we will partake together here in just a little bit. Let's read together first, and then we'll invite you to come and get a, get a piece of, of bread and a, the juice. All right, let's look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11. And I want to start there uh, down in verse 23. I'm reading out of NIV here this morning. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood and do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now look here in the next verse. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today, we are carrying along the gospel. And until the Lord comes back, what we are doing today is part of reminding people of what the Lord has done. Now look at verse 27. This is where we want you to think about godly sorrow this morning. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So it's not that you are worthy or that you are holy. None of us in our own are worthy or holy, are we, right? No, no, no. It's the manner, okay? It's the manner that you partake. This is not a joking thing. It's not a laughing thing. It's not a light thing, even though it's even different for us today. It's a very serious thing as we remember what Jesus has done for us. And it's also a thing, time for us to examine our own hearts. And so that's what he says there in verse 28. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment. I think King James says damnation on himself. And that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. And look at the next verse. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. All right. So this morning, what I would like for you to do, I'm going to play just a little bit on the guitar, just a little at a time. If you guys will come and get your... Uh, little packet here and then go ahead and go back to your seat and sit at your seat uh, then we'll have a little time if you would just take that time while you're waiting and even after you have it while other people are waiting to before you open things up take that time to reflect on your own heart okay am i where i need to be with the lord today be honest before him if you need to make use of the altar feel free to come down and pray here if you need to grab a friend and you want to grab a buddy and come down and pray feel free to do that we'll take a little time here first off to examine ourselves this morning. So Todd and Don, if you would get us started and come and get uh, a cup and some bread.
Brother Todd, I'll ask if you would just to pray for us corporately, a prayer of repentance in the Lord that he would heal us and would clean us up. Yes. Amen. If you guys want to try to open your cups there, and if you want to go ahead and get the unleavened little wafer in your hand. Look at there. You guys at home, we're so glad you could participate with us today. So again, I'm going to read the scripture and then we will partake together, all right? Again, I just think about the Lord being at his table. You think of Judas Iscariot there and still his uh, profession. Paul writes again, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Today, as we think about the blood of Jesus, it covers our sins it makes us whole again when we repent. It's what actually changes us. He paid for it for his father's righteousness so that we wouldn't have to bear the wrath of God. And then again, it says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, and this is what he said. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft or whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You can partake of the Lord's cup now. Thank you, Diane, for getting us set up there. We see that whenever the disciples had the Lord's Supper, it says they went out and they sang a song. So we're going to sing one little song as we get dismissed today. I think it's a song you know. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. To worship you, O oh my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Do that again. It sounds so good. I think the Lord loves to hear it from a repentant heart. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul. Rejoice, take joy, my King. In what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound. Oh, may it be a sweet, sweet sound. Oh, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. 
Aren't you so glad for the Lord's sacrifice? When we have worldly sorrow and we repent, He covers us and He makes the change in us that we can do the things that please Him and make His name great. You guys, thank you so much for being in God's house today and for participating with us. Does anyone have anything like to say before we're dismissed? Sorry, Greg, go ahead. Yeah, we can say the Lord's Prayer as well. Anything else? Jerry, is that right? Okay, yeah, let's remember that family. Thank you, Megan. Let's pray all over, excuse me, and Jerry. Anybody else? All right, let's stand. And let's be dismissed in prayer, and then after that, we'll say the Lord's Prayer together, okay? Lord, today we're again so grateful for this time we gather together. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would just, uh, Lord, open up our hearts. Lord, forgive us where we have failed you. Thank you so much, Brother Todd's prayer, Lord. And pray that you would break our hearts and give us godly sorrow and then fill us with the great joy. Be the God of comfort to us. Lord, this week, most of all, would you help us to love the people and the things that you love? And would you help us to hate the things that you hate, dear God? Let our heart's passion be what makes your heart beat. Thank you again for this time together and for your son and for his sacrifice. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Some of you are trespassers and some of you are debtors, but I think the Lord knows. Amen. All right. Have a great week and celebrate the Lord and share the gospel with someone. You are? Oh, yeah. No Wednesday service. Oh, correct. If anybody wants to help us decorate next Sunday about 2 o'clock, so you can come to church, go get something to eat, and come back if you want to decorate for Christmas. We're going to do that next Sunday afternoon. Thank you, Wendy. Okay, now go celebrate. <laughs> Have a great week. Thank you, everybody who is online. Have a great week yourselves as well. Thanks for joining us.